pandemic, I bought a new mattress and I've never, I'd, I'd never bought a mattress before actually. I'd always just had the one that I got from my parents. Because you're dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 104 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for, well, you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career, from techie to CMO, and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that my guests and I have picked up along the way. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and a proud member of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode was recorded on Friday, March the 4th. Apologies for my voice. I have a mild case of the vid, but I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying the same as you feel you need to be. And to echo my sentiment from last week, the B2B tech industry has strong links to the Ukraine. I'm sure like many of you, I have former colleagues and friends who remain in my thoughts. This week, Jeff Clark and I will continue with the five effing marketing fundamentals. I chat with the email marketing heroes, Rob and Kennedy, and we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tap. I'll be back in a moment. After this word, we'll be right back. After this word. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right, on to our first segment. My chum, Jeff Clark, is a former research director at Serious Decisions Forrester and is a sought-after marketing strategy advisor. Two weeks ago, we introduced the five effing marketing fundamentals. Last week, we chatted about brand. And this week, we dive into market research. Welcome, Jeff, back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing very well on a sunny late winter day here. Lovely. Lovely. Very nice. Yeah, I think last week you were shoveling snow, weren't you? I was. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. still out there, too. <laughs> <laughs> As it does in uh, in your yeah. part of the world. It hangs about for a bit, doesn't it? It does. It does. Yes. yes. I was actually, I, I had a discussion with a, uh, in a, for another client, we were talking to these people who were taking a vacation in Vermont, and um, mm-hmm. they had friends coming over from the UK with their family, mm-hmm. and uh, and they had like you know like a little inch of snow, and these kids from the UK were just like, "Oh my god, we're gonna go sledding!" <laughs> Whereas her kids were like, "It's an inch." Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said to you before that when we were living out there, and when we were in Stanford, uh, you know, the kids were smaller, and the um, the first time the snow came, it was really exciting. The next day, still excited. Third day, (laughs) 
And then when, when you can't leave your house without boots on for a few yeah, weeks. It starts to wear, yeah. It starts to get old, even for the kids, yeah. 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 So anyway, so good luck with your snow then, and Thank I hope you. the sun burns some of it away. Um, but you're not here to do the weather report, like, um, um, oh, although sorry. we... <laughs> Although we always do, because <laughs> I'm English and that's what we talk about. Um, we're here to talk about the five effing marketing fundamentals. And last week we covered the first of those, which was branding. Thank you for that. And then this week, if we remember the uh, fundamentals that we discussed in show 102, I think. 101? 102? <laughs> yep. Uh, the, the next one we're going to discuss is uh, market research. Uh, which is a pretty big topic, mate. So, is, um, can we can we cover market research in twenty we'll, minutes? We'll we'll make it bite size. <laughs> All right, mate. So, what say you, Jeff? Well, so I mean, the first thing is, uh, and it, it maybe at the you know potentially repeating myself from the mm -hmm. last couple of weeks is just that it's like research is so important to know. It's like you just can't go in with the assumptions that marketers often go into or even anybody in the company goes into. It's like we think we know this market. We yeah. think we know customers, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you just can't assume that because you got a product or service and a list of customers and their emails or mm -hmm. target account list, you can't assume that you actually know how to engage them effectively. Mm -hmm. And so often we tend to lean on our past experiences. Yeah. You know, at my last company, you know, we held this campaign and we had a Amazon gift card. And, you know, if they took a meeting, you know, and and it's it's like that just, you know, that, then you realize that didn't work. OK, so now what do we do? <laughs> and yeah, so it's yeah. really, you know, how we know that the past experience applies to a new customer with a different mm -hmm. set of products, a different uh, you know, a different set of needs, right. different time, you know, things change, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. gosh, we're going through a period where it's, it seems like everything's changing, yeah. uh, you know, every month or so. So it's like, uh, so I just, it's, to me, it's one of the things that, that a CMO should free his budget and mm -hmm. free his, his team up to say, Hey, if we need to go find out information mm. about something, some aspect that's going to make us more effective, then let's let's do yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree because it's often you often just jump straight on the hamster wheel, don't you, and start start running yep. uh, without doing that thought and doing that research. And I actually forgot at the beginning that to, to to do the you know the incredibly funny music analogies that I always come up with for these things. So this is this is our muse, right? This is our reason. This to is take our show muse. on the road. <laughs> yes. Yes. What's inspiring us? Right. So, so where do so where do we start with that? So we want we need to know who our audience is, right, and, and what yeah. they want. So how do how do we start with that? Yeah, and I think uh, one of the things that you know, as I said, to make this kind of bite size is is mm -hmm. is that I mean, I just I thought of like off the top of my head, just like five things that that mm -hmm. I've had some personal experience with. I know work, and, or and or are seen as being important at other other mm -hmm. clients. So um, there's. I, you know, obviously, as you said, this is a gigantic category. We could get into all kinds of things, and mm -hmm. and our audience should feel free to chime in with whatever research that they found particularly effective, uh, yeah. you know, in their own careers. But to start with, you know, you're to go to our our music analogy. It's like you know, we got to understand our fan base, and mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, I mean, if if we're doing our rock star thing, I mean, sometimes it's organic, and we we kind of grow out of our fan base. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, oftentimes that's not necessarily the case. And oftentimes as you get bigger and things, you know, your fans change, whatever, it's just really important to do 
some sort of research. And so needs, I mean, when I was at Forrester Serious Decisions, I mean, we kind of generally categorize, categorize this as needs assessment research. Right. So who's who are the customers that we want to be talking to from an account perspective? What are their needs? How do they how do they talk about their needs? What's you know, what's kind of the language? What are the key personas? Like, so who's involved in making decisions? There's mm-hmm. a decision maker, there's a champion, there's approvers, influencers, you know. And you can give different names to the personas, um, you know, and and where do they get their information? And so a a lot of, at least I think in my experience and and probably yours as well, is that it's like, you know, at this point, it's like you often go to the analysts uh, Mm -hmm. who are covering your market. You know, I mentioned Forrester, obviously there's Gartner, there's, you know, Mm -hmm. there's AMR, there's, I mean, there's all these companies that are out there that that do research and, 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 you know, in terms of understanding what, what buying interests and and patterns are. So, you know, go to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, They may have, you know, you can talk to them. They may have reports. You can bounce ideas off them. I know when we were at uh, SDL, Mm-hmm. which has been renamed, uh, but anyway, yeah. it was it's called SDL. And we were, we were entering this area of customer experience. I mean, there were a boatload of analysts who were following customer experience and, yeah. and it's like, so this is what we're thinking of doing. Does that work? You know, how, yeah. how do you think people receive the message? Da, da. Yeah. And, and you can also do, you know, your own first party research. I mean, surveying current or potential customers, you know, and, and, uh, Certainly, we actually, at the same time, we were doing some surveying that was helping to set up some of our marketing message about finding out how people, yeah. what people thought about campaigns or what people thought about translation, uh, localization, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. um, so you can do your own research, and it's kind of that combination of doing your own first-party research with third-party research that I think that helps you paint a, uh, a good, comprehensive picture. Yeah, yeah. And um, so when you're talking about need assessment research, then this is also from a content perspective, you know, my background is about, um, you know, what are the what are the what are all the top questions you need to answer that they're going to be asking right during that process. So that's a part of that as well. Yeah. I mean, I had Stefan, uh, the CMO of Dream Data on last week, and he was talking about how he wants his website to answer every single question um, somebody might want to need to have answered. And I think, um, there, where you're talking about third-party information from analysts and from your own research and first-party data, I think also the sales team can be quite useful Absolutely. in this too, can't they? Because they're, they're the ones standing up and they know, I get asked this question all the time, or this thing's missing from the website, or these are the guys that are actually making the decision in this particular deal, that kind of thing, can't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. And also having sales introduce you to customers so you can do your own interviewing process, which I think is absolutely. I mean, one of the things I mean used to do throughout my career was do customer success stories. And it's like, it's like when you actually talk to a real customer and find out what really motivate them, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, and I think I might be uh, going a little bit ahead here um, because you've mentioned case studies, but also win loss analysis also forms some of that needs, but we'll talk about win loss analysis in a moment, right? Um, (laughs) So so we so we've sort of the needs assessment research. We know what the customer we believe we know what the customer needs and what it is that they're looking for. So now where do we look next? How what's the next stage in this research? Well we need we need to build the um uh, the songbook. I I mean that's Mm -hmm. My my catchphrase for not necessarily that's a song or a, a, you know the, the the next record, but it's just kind of like you got to build the what's your so what is it you're creating that that is going to connect to people 
Mm-hmm. And and I think buyer journey analysis is is a really key element mm-hmm. here. And um, one of the things I had the fortune to uh, at least write when I was um, at Serious Decisions was these buyer insight guides. So mm-hmm. you know if you if you if you and we would we would focus them both kind of on an industry sector level and also on a on a persona level. So it's like okay, you've got a persona, the head of IT. So yeah. you know what is he. Um, where does he go for information? How does he do it? How does he interact with, um, you know, online versus mm-hmm. uh, in-person uh, engagement? And where, where in a buying cycle? You know, so where is he involved in the buying cycle, or her yeah. involved in the buying cycle? And then, yeah. and then, what are the types of things that they would like to, uh, you know, that that they use the most? So mm-hmm. this gets into kind of the where they go. Uh, yeah. uh, for information, but also how they like being interacted to. Cause I mean, that was the, the eye opener for me was, you know, you know, we all talk about how everything goes digital and then you find an industry like in manufacturing mm-hmm. or in the utility sector where it's like yeah. certain personas are just, they just, particularly as you get higher up in a decision-making uh, realm, they just, they like dealing with people. So they, and yeah. it might be, it might be the, the the sales guy or it might be the uh the product marketing manager or product mm-hmm. or product uh, management you know they want to talk to people who are sort of on the inside maybe they want to talk to technical people yeah uh and so it's really important to get that so that because that really as you're doing your tactical mix of your campaigning it's just important to understand what works where in a in a buying cycle so that you yeah. can you know you can start to yeah. uh you know, uh, schedule things, if you will, you know, it's kind of loosely because everything people don't actually, they're not going to follow the journey that you, you intend them to, but you just, you know, like what works late stage, what works early stage, yeah. what works in the middle. And, um, and I know one of the things that we did when I was, uh, at, uh, at, at Pegasystems that was really interesting was that we, you know, this is the early days. I mean, now, Days, you know, they have buyer journey analytics tools out there that can actually paint these pictures of how people mm-hmm. are interacting with you once they have aggregated all the data. But we actually aggregated all the data into the data warehouse, and then it, we we would pick a, a, a you know particular win, and then we would mm-hmm. go through and say, okay, what was the journey of the several people involved in that in that yeah. decision process? Oh, you know, they they downloaded a paper. They we saw them at a at a, at a conference we did this we did this we did this there's the sales call yeah. there you know there's the they dove into the development network okay so now you now you get a sense of of particularly the volume of interactions it takes and then the types of interactions it takes right to right bring somebody over the block right and a lot of the times we're doing that sort of thing from an attribution perspective but what you're saying is we use that data to, to map the buyer's journey so we know at what point they were touching us and when during that process and particularly in b2b where we have the longer buying cycles i guess longer then, then you're yeah. able to do that longer buying cycles more and then more individuals right yeah so that, you know it's like how many people are involved i mean that's actually back to the either the needs assessment or this buyer journey analysis is how many people are involved in yeah. making that decision yeah yeah and then um and then where, where do we get? And so we've, we've we've put together a hypothesis at this point, I guess, haven't we? We've we've kind of come up with who the personas are, what they need each stage of the buying journey. We've mapped out the buying journey based on our experience of previous customers, and we've got our sort of ideal customers and, and folks like that. Then what do we what do we do then? Do we start to look at, at what what's happened in the past and how effective we've been before? Yeah, I think this is the part where you do start to measure. Um, 
you know, it's like, so, so now you've with setting up your songbook or whatever to the fan base. Now you've sort of like you're, you're, you're executing on things and you need to see how effective is this. Um, And certainly last week we talked about brand research, Mm -hmm. which, um, you know, is certainly something that, that I've used at a number of different companies where you try to get a sense of, you know, are people aware of you? What do they, what's their perception? Do they put you in this market? Do they not put you in this market? Do they, how do they, what attribute do they provide or apply to you? If, Mm -hmm. if they're, if you said, you know, company ABC is in the customer experience space and they might say, laggard or they might say oh those are cutting edge guys or it's like i didn't even know those people were in that space Um, and then you also just you know are what is the preference for you versus competitors and 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 this is another one of these areas where there's a lot of ways to uh uh to approach it i mean you can do the uh the big broad surveys you can do Mm -hmm. interviews focus groups you can do social monitoring you know particularly the idea of like do people associate us with a particular attribute well it's like so sdl web content management system do do they associate with that or not or do they if we inserted a different like a product name oh all of a sudden we pop up so there's there's Lots, lots of ways to do it. And, and again, we, we did touch on a little bit of this in episode 103, I believe that was the number. Yeah, last week, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. um, but it's basically, you're just trying to answer, are they, are they buying our story? You know, right. We, right. We, we think we know who we're talking to. We think we've, we've, we've put out a good message. Yeah. Uh, are they buying it? Right. So, but if we're, if we're going through this journey of, um, you know, you're a new CMO or you've decided to re-energize your messaging and marketing, and we've, we've gone through that journey you were talking about, about figuring out our why, you know, the, and, and, and doing this need assessment research and, and then, um, and then, and then doing this brand research, how do we, are we, are we thinking about, well, what we've done before, whether that worked or not, and what people associate us with, and are we then building up a, a picture of, where we need to go so we're intent on this strategy but people nurse as this other thing so therefore this informs where we need to focus our budget yeah where where you focus your budget or where you need to bolster your your messaging because you know you know again you know like a brand attribute is a is a very simple you know certainly for companies that don't you don't know you it's this very simple equation it's like do they associate us in a market and with what particular attribute you know it's and 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 it's so if if they don't, then what is the messaging pyramid we're going to create underneath where we're trying to go? Uh, you know, as long as you know we feel from the needs assessment work we're on the right track. It's mm-hmm. just that the market, the rest of the market, hasn't caught up to that. So, right. what do we need to be doing to change ourselves? And you know, again, this is really focuses more on what we're saying to the audience as opposed to the colors and the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the visuals and all that obviously are going to help, but it's like this is not about this is not about uh, cosmetics. This is all all about about words. So, so we understand. So, we believe we now understand the customers' needs, and we believe that we have a solution to those needs. What we're what we're doing is here is is saying, have we at the moment got validity in the market to deliver on that? Yep. And how do we how do we set that expectation? How do we change people's minds that we are the solution with that particular need, particularly if we've changed or we've acquired something or we, we've got a new product coming out or we're a startup, something like that. Right. Yeah. 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 
So, so then, um, how do, how are you there? We're now sort of. I think we were getting ready to take the show on the road, right? So, <laughs> so what what's um, what do we once we start down this process, right? So we, we've done our research, we've set this thing up, we're we're off. What what do we what do we what do we what else do we do? What other little levers and things can we pull? Well, I think this this is where you get into understanding the um, you know so the your demand benchmarking. I'll just mm-hmm. say this in, in a in a broad category, um, but it, it's it's kind of like if we it, it, you know we got the band, mm-hmm. you know we're putting out the music, we hit the road. So what are the royalties receipts coming in? You know what yeah. <laughs> are we yeah, making yeah. money on the music, and are we <laughs> making money when we actually you know hit the yeah. hit the arenas? Uh, yes. If we get to the arenas, <laughs> yes. but but you know, and, and and I mean, this is where there are so many different things, and actually, this is an area I think perhaps where more marketers are comfortable and aware of some of the options. You know, whether you're doing like your yeah. your website benchmarking, you know, yeah. how are we doing acquiring, you know, uh, visitors, or, or what's the behavior like on the website? Are we converting people into yeah. customers that are known? Uh, we, we put them into some sort of demand process, like a waterfall or whatever, where mm-hmm. we're, we're tracking them as they go through and handoffs from marketing to sales and back to marketing and over to sales again. Uh, are we doing well in terms of hitting whatever goals? If we've got, if we've got revenue engagement, customer satisfaction, things that are quantifiable, mm-hmm. or how are we doing on hitting those goals? But, I, and, and, and again, we could dive into a lot of these things, but I think one of the key things is to try to see where you can compare yourself to a peer set. Right. And I think we'll, we'll get into more of this in subsequent, uh, uh episodes, but it's like, yeah. it's really important to say, you know, I mean, we can compare ourselves to our work historically, which is certainly mm-hmm. important, but it's, it's, it's even better to say companies like us in our market right. are going to after customers, like we're going after, you know, right. they get results like this and here we are. And, and can we rationalize why that is and then determine what we need to fix in order to. Um, right. Right. So that research really has got to come from industry analysts really, hasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and yeah, analysts, particularly analysts that, that have do, do some sort of aggregation of, of data so that they can help yeah. uh, track their clients against, uh, against the peer sets. Yeah, cool. Well, and then, of course, there's the thing we mentioned just a moment ago, which is uh, win-loss analysis, which is a great yeah. source of, uh, yeah. of, of, of this stuff, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and uh, I know Ken Schwartz, uh, our former, mm-hmm. my former colleague who was on episode 100, so not yeah. that long ago, uh, <laughs> who I, I listened to that. And I think he did a great job just talking about the, kind of the benefit of win-loss mm-hmm. analysis. And, and this is typically, you know, more geared towards the sales team. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's like if somebody's going to say, yes, we're going to do this, it is going to be the head of sales to, to, yeah. to do that. Yeah. Um, but often product marketing or product management are the ones who are champion or yeah. doing it and or are managing the process. And what marketing can get out of it is, is you know, is priceless. I mean, obviously mm. sales can get something out of it. Um, and but, you know, marketing can understand, you know, are we going after the wrong set of customers? Are we yeah. are, somehow do we set the wrong impressions? Are we not arming our salespeople with good content and messaging for when they're mm-hmm when the customers are getting to the stage of talking to the salespeople. So you like you really, I mean, and, and, and ultimately you find out what you win on and what you lose on. Cause, yeah. cause a good win loss analysis will rank these things. And, yeah. uh, and I remember one of the things that I know uh, this is one of what Ken and I talk about this thing. It's like, we always come back to this one where we were, 
at at uh, at progress and we we won on our proof of concepts and we lost on our proof of concept and, every, <laughs> right. and, and every, all the executives just scratching their head and then you, it, it, you realize it's like oh we have some people who do it really well <laughs> and we yeah. have some people who do it and it's like yeah. ah so that's that's the problem yeah, yeah. of course that's not a that's not as yeah. much a marketing problem, but it, but it, yeah. it is, it is. It's good to have that you, insight. You just yeah. find these things that are like yeah. these pearls that you, yeah. uh, otherwise you're just dealing with anecdotes and, and mm -hmm. oftentimes you're dealing with anecdotes from sales or people around sales who are, yeah. who may have, they got a bias or they're whatever, yeah, they're that's, to something mean, or something like that. And so you, you yeah. want to make it as objective as possible. Yeah. And that, that's the whole point of this particular effing marketing fundamental, isn't it? That you've got to spend some time doing some proper research. Otherwise, you do tend to get led by the highest paid person in the room or some anecdote from sales that this is working or that's not working and or the customer needs this. And until you get a good body of research together, then, you know, you, you are firing blind, aren't you? You're executing yeah. blindly. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and, so and you and you. You want your highest paid person in the room to be asking for the third party attribution or the objective yeah. analysis. I mean, you absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And demonstrate to them the value yeah. of doing that. Yeah. All right. So uh, we didn't manage to talk about market research in 20 minutes, mate. We've gone over a little bit. Uh, so but uh, there's one more agenda item that we need to cover off. We've done the weather. We've done the marketing, marketing research in 20 minutes ish. Uh, we need a song from you, mate. What are we going with? Well, you know, you you had uh, cast this episode as the Muse, yes. So I went right to the Muse, uh, and they have a great song uh, from two thousand one, I believe. It's called "Feeling Good," uh, and uh, there's a line. I think it's in the chorus, which is, you know, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, and I'm feeling good. So hopefully, it's like you know, you've done that needs assessment, you've talked to all the right people, you've done your yeah. benchmark, and you're saying, wow, you know, we are armed, and we're ready to be dangerous in the market. I'm feeling good. That's excellent. I love that song. Thank you very much, Jeff. And we'll, and next week, you're going to come back, right? And we're going to talk yeah. about communication what? and influences. I think. Yes. Yes. Good. Isn't that, is that us? <laughs> that is absolutely us. <laughs> and then we'll do uh, I think by the life cycle and then marketing ops if people want to hang around for the next few episodes as well so we've got yep. three more effing marketing fundamentals to cover and uh, we'll pick it up again next week thank you very much Jeff and uh, enjoy the snow thank you very much <laughs> feeling effing good <laughs> cheers buddy bye bye you know how I feel sun in the sky It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me, and I'm feeling Thank you, Jeff. And that was the rather fabulous Muse and their cover of Feeling Good from 2001. Let us know what you think of this new series on the socials or contact us via the website at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all of Jeff's contact details. 
Right, on to my guests. You might know them as hosts of the very entertaining podcast, The Email Marketing Show, or as the founders of the survey platform that makes you sales, Response Suite. My guests this week are email marketing heroes Rob and Kennedy. Redhead Rob is a comedy stage hypnotist, and platinum-haired Kennedy, a psychological mind reader, or mentalist, as he would be called in the US, who have spent almost 18 years relying on their skills of getting into other people's heads to carve out successful careers in show business. Now, as founders of emailmarketingheroes.com, Rob and Kennedy's mission is to save the world from that grubby, old-fashioned email marketing we've grown to loathe. And wherever you happen to be in your relationship with email marketing, Rob and Kennedy are here to help grow your business by sending more emails that people love receiving. What a mission. It was fabulous to meet these chaps. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM, gentlemen. How are you? Yeah, really good. So today we're joined by Kennedy and Rob, the email marketing heroes. for the listeners that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Yeah, so we've got a really weird backstory, which is, um, I'm Rob, by the way, I'll be using this voice for the rest of the episode. Uh, Kennedy <laughs> is the, uh, the, the other one. good looking one. Yeah. Kennedy's the other one. Let's say the other one. Um, our story's a little bit weird. So I'm actually a stage hypnotist. Uh, Kennedy is a mind reader, psychological mind reader. So I get up on stage and hypnotize people, make them do crazy things. And Kennedy can get inside their heads by using body language, statistics, reading people, influence, and that kind of thing. Basically the closest real thing to being able to read somebody's mind we've been doing that for like 18 years or something now mm-hmm. all over the world built a really cool business out of it and um, completely by accident we literally came out of uh, sixth form for me and university for kennedy we both just knew we wanted to do this thing we didn't want to have a business we just wanted to do this thing and that led yeah. to us um, having to figure out how do we do things that all the stuff you do you don't want to do in a business like uh, marketing and branding and positioning and accounts yeah. and all of that stuff and so what we ended up doing was uh, using email to get booked uh, for gigs and get rebooked and then get referred and that kind of thing. Mostly because, I mean, I'm a huge introvert. I hate talking to people generally. So yeah. I didn't really do like sales calls or any of that kind of thing. And so we just found email independently, didn't even mention it to each other. We were just mates, didn't mention it to each other, weren't working together, didn't have a business together. And as we bo- one day, just casually in conversation, we both said, oh, I've got this email marketing thing going and we talked about it. And we, oh, so have I. And it was just this weird little thing. And so we, we sort of started to swap notes about it and, and we're talking i mean emails changed a lot in the last 15 years and that's how long ago this was that we started doing it and so yeah. we've just sort of constantly kept in touch with what like what we were doing and trying new ideas and we, we end up making frameworks that we could both use um mm-hmm. that would serve us going forward that led to other entertainers asking us how we were doing what we were doing so we started coaching and teaching them whilst performing because as a performer you spend a lot of time traveling and a very little amount of time on stage and then yeah. much more recently than that we got asked to go and speak at a marketing event for general businesses and we were like okay uh so we did. <laughs> and then that led- i'll stand on it exactly <laughs> i don't know why but okay and that led to a whole bunch of other businesses. So now we've been lucky enough to help thousands of businesses of everything you can imagine, B2B, B2C, small businesses, massive businesses, uh, huge like global lobbying com- uh, organizations um, to use email in a more effective way. And that's, that's that. Nice. Nice. And you're speaking for both of you there, Kennedy. Is there anything you can add to that? I disagree with everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, and that now, now like we find ourselves like two or three years in now of helping mm-hmm other types of businesses with email marketing and using psychology to do better email marketing that basically doesn't make you want to throw up in your own mouth. 
I love it. Yeah. <laughs> e- that's a high bar, isn't it? Email, it doesn't make you want to throw up in your own mouth. Yeah. See, that, is that your tagline? Yeah. It's, it's loud. <laughs> so um, I was going to ask you, why did you pick email? Because you two guys, when I was doing my research, uh, you know, and all the cool kids are doing social, um, but I can see what inspired you. It's from being an introvert and feeling that's the best channel for your own business, right? Yeah, I mean, the cool kids are doing social, so we're not the cool kids. Um, <laughs> based, I mean, the thing is, everything goes back to email as well. So mm-hmm. every time, remember when you used to get your your first Facebook account, and every time someone poked you or tagged you on Facebook, mm-hmm. what do they do? They send you an email to tell you about it, to sign up to the latest whatever platform that you've just, you know, uh, Clubhouse or whatever it is this week. Uh, yeah. You have to have an email address. It all comes down to that. And the reason we find it really effective is because now people are checking their email on their phone, mm-hmm. which means it's another app snuggled in between TikTok and Tinder that people are checking on, on a regular basis. And if you get closed down on one of your social platforms, there's nothing you can do to save that audience. Whereas if you fall out with your email marketing provider, guess what? You can download that CSV file of all the data and you can go to a different email marketing provider. So you've still got that data. You're basically not building your entire brand, your ability to reach your audience on mm-hmm. borrowed land. You're doing it on a yeah. platform you actually own. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of Joe Polizzi and, and he, he writes about content marketing and he's always talking about not building on rented land, which <laughs> is what all these social platforms are and the email is that thing you own right you own those subscribers right exactly yeah yeah so that's what inspired you to get into into email now i can't resist asking the obvious what's your top tip for the listeners on email marketing what 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 is it you're always telling your clients that they should be doing and that they see a success with i think one of the biggest things that really makes an impact is to start treating email like a content channel rather than like a sales channel so what Mm -hmm. most people do we call it email marketing and then what most people implement is actually email sales and they just send emails uh, they either do one of two things they either just send emails about their products and services and say come and buy come and buy would you like to buy yet here's another reason to buy here's jeremy he bought isn't jeremy good be more like Jeremy, come and buy this. Here's Carol. She bought. Carol did well. Isn't Carol awesome? Like, be like Carol. And it's just more and more reasons to buy. And the problem with that is, you very quickly, if you just send emails that are opportunities for people to buy, your emails very quickly become the emails that people only open when they're ready mm-hmm. to when they're ready to buy. Something. Right. And that's a bad thing because that means you get generally low engagement. And we hear this all the time. People are talking about nobody's opening my emails anymore. Nobody's clicking the links mm-hmm. in my emails anymore. Like the engagement levels, nobody replying saying, thank you for my emails. Of course they're not because all you're doing is emailing them saying, do you want to buy yet? Do you want to buy yet? Do you want to buy yet? And yeah. so what we started to do is to realize that actually if you use email like a content channel that you can also sell through. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if you take a more marketing approach to it, if you like literally send content people want to read that's useful and interesting, and inspiring but the other side of that spectrum that most people are on is they just send like their free newsletter once a month uh, yeah. sort of i've got a new email newsletter I, sorry an email list i probably should email them every now and then and then when they feel inspired to do it or they force themselves to do it they mm-hmm. send out some long email that's a million miles long i think of our accountant with this you know like <laughs> an email that's like about i don't know a month long and, yeah. you know, nobody reads it. He hates writing it. Nobody's winning in that arrangement. So yeah. Instead, what we do is we send emails people want to read. We can talk about that if you like. But we, we send mm. emails that people want to read that also make sales. And if you do that, you can send emails as often as you want to, as often as every day. So we email mm-hmm. our list. Everybody, hope everyone's sitting down right now. Uh, park the car if you're driving while you're listening. <laughs> Sandra. 
put the baby back in the cot. Listen, right, sit down. We email our list every day, 365 days of the year, even on Christmas. Wow. But those emails take less than 10 minutes to write, like four, five, six minutes to write. Mm -hmm. Super consumable. Uh, in one of Kennedy's businesses, he even puts like the reading time at the top of the email. And it's typically like less than a minute, a minute and a half. Something like right. That. So super quick to consume. And they just give somebody a little burst of inspiration, an idea, a tip, a story, something that's gone on in our lives that relates to mm -hmm. what we teach in some way or what we sell in some way, and then gives them the chance to buy as part of that. And if you do that, you kind of create content that for the right audience is super addictive. And what that means, of course, is that we don't need to build the biggest list in the world. Subscribers are not Pokemon. We don't have to catch them all. <laughs> build it. We, In fact, we intentionally work to keep our subscriber list quite small. We run emailmarketingheroes.com. Our list is just under 5,000 people, very mm -hmm. intentionally. Like we clear out the sort of, no, no offense to those people, but we clear out the duds regularly, the people who are not yeah. paying attention anymore. Um, yeah. and, and that way, that's what we want to do is we want to send emails that people want to receive that are valuable and interesting and inspiring. They can read them mm. really quickly. You can write them really quickly and they continue to deepen relationships with those. I mean, that's totally taking a content marketing approach, isn't it? And using it as a channel. I love that. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about people like Seth Godin and folks like that who, who blog every day. And it's the same thing. You're just using email as that channel of, connecting and reminding people that you exist you know and that, and that they, they get engaged with the content that's that fascinating and how, how what metrics do you tend to see your customers using in terms of you know how successful that is because there's a lot of doubt about whether open rates is really the great success metric that it used to be how how, how do you um, val how, how, yeah, how do you rate success of these programs? This is really interesting because we'll talk about some like the, the dud information that's out there about this. One of the, yeah. the, the ultimate metric that we go for is what we call earnings per subscriber per month. That mm -hmm. So because that's what we care about. We don't have an email list because we, I don't know, want to collect people or because mm -hmm. we on our email list. No, we've got an email list because we've got a commercial intent with it. We want to make sales from a channel that we own, from mm -hmm. the most successful ROI channel on the planet, according to much smarter people than Rob and I. <laughs> <laughs> Almost everybody. So yeah. the, 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 that number of earnings per subscriber per month is really simple to calculate. Have a look at your system. How many active subscribers have you got? Lovely. What's the number? Let's say it was a thousand, just to give the numbers easy for my simple little brain, because we focus, <laughs> we focus on the psychology so we don't have to think about the technology. Um, so, uh -huh. so let's say you've got a thousand subscribers, and let's say in January you made a thousand dollars. You divide mm -hmm. one number by the other, one dollar per subscriber in January. And then you do it again in February, and mm -hmm. you might have made one dollar twenty. Or one pound twenty yeah. for every subscriber. Yeah. What's nice about this is it's completely relative. As you grow your email list and as you do more or less promotions with different price point items, you can see how that's actually affecting the bottom line of what is the effectiveness of everything. And that tells you your top line KPI, your top line metric. Like how good is your relationship with your email subscribers? Well, if it sucks, it's in the toilet. People are not going to buy from you. How good are you at making offers? How often are you making offers? Is it enough? Am I presenting mm. things to my subscribers enough so that can actually happen? So have, have a look at your earnings per subscriber per month and have a look at when's it going up? When's it going down? What are the, what are the sort of things that are going on? What's the activity mm -hmm. that's going on that's causing that? Yeah, and that's a magic word, that revenue, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, in you, if you work in larger organizations or B2B organizations like I have, 
we as marketers tend to talk about our vanity metrics and the rest of the c-suite doesn't give a shit right 100%. what they care about is revenue so if you start linking your metrics to revenue all of a sudden yeah we should be doing this email thing yeah, love you, it you elevate you you sort of graduate yeah. yourself from the pretty pictures department yeah revenue generating department what a concept yeah yeah no that's excellent and, th- and that marketing's actually an investment i love it and and what do you think what are people not what what does, what's the thing you're always telling people to stop doing when you when you start your advisory i love this because this sounds like a wild thing to do in fact people are going to think that I'm, I'm more drunk than i actually am right now when i give you this answer <laughs> so um <clears throat> honestly so, it is lunchtime on a friday you are in cocoa pops so <laughs> <laughs> um then I would rather have a world of Google Pops. Uh, so, um, the, the answer to what, what you should stop doing is mm-hmm. talking about, deep breath, your products and services in your emails, or, or rather emailing about your products and services. You do need to talk about your products and services. You should mm-hmm. email about them, though. That's a different thing. So what we talk about in our emails every day is 95% of the time, the random inane stuff that's go- gone on in our lives. I write mm-hmm. most of the emails for this business. And so most of the time, it's about my life and the stuff that's going on. And mm-hmm. I want to I preface this by saying that this is true, regardless of whether you're selling B2B or B2C, because ultimately what you are selling most likely is you're selling to a human within a business rather than mm-hmm. who owns the business most of the time. And yeah. even if you're not, you're still communicating with other humans and they want to know that you understand them. They want to know more about you and they want, they, they want to connect human to human. So what we tend to do is we tend to write emails that take care of what we call the emotional needs of our audience. And mm-hmm. those are basically the things that sit on the periphery of what it is that you actually sell. So if you look at like, for example, so we sell to small and micro businesses usually one to two people mostly working from home, having a great time. That's who most of our customers are. And so if we think about what those people have in common, those those people have a bunch of things in common. They are all working from home and trying to deal with the battles of that, like having kids and dogs and partners around. They're trying to deal with the fact that I've just gone on this really important Zoom call and the Amazon delivery driver turns up. They're dealing with the fact that I get to the end of the year and suddenly I've got a tax bill I I sort of should have seen coming, but didn't. (laughs) (laughs) didn't. I definitely didn't. (laughs) Definitely didn't save for it. That's why the banks have now introduced that little thing that automatically sticks some money in the savings account every month. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff, right? So we talk about all of those things and mm-hmm. the more bizarre things. Like, for example, I I, rent, I wrote an email about the fact that during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, as if there was another one, during the <laughs> pandemic, I, um, I ordered... The great... <laughs> <laughs> during the spanish flu i was doing a Zoom call. during the covid19 pandemic i bought a new mattress and i've never I'd, I'd never bought a mattress before actually i'd always just had the one that i got from my parents because you're dirty <laughs> least of all i'd never bought a mattress on the internet before and it's a very like it's a very tactile thing like you've got to know is it comfortable do i want it firm or soft mm. i don't know um, mm. I don't know whether the one I've got now is firm or soft. I don't know what I'm looking and it's knackered, so I don't know what I'm looking for. Very so, soft right now, isn't it? It's like uh, uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote an email about the fact I bought a mattress. I'll, I'll yeah. get to the point. And um, the interesting thing about that was the sort of what I tell is a little story. So I bought a mattress. I'm, I'm trying to buy a mattress. But mm-hmm. then we go from a story, which is sort of interesting ish, into, but nothing to do with what you sell, into a lesson about that story. So for me, that was yeah. the fact that. We sell stuff on the on the internet, and actually buying anything on the internet is quite hard because people can't really feel it. They don't know what the quality is. It might look mm-hmm. nice in the photo, but it might be like a McDonald's burger when it looks nice in the photo. <laughs> yeah. Sat on by every yeah. member of staff. <laughs> so, like, that's difficult to buy stuff on the internet. And so, 
uh, we use email to build pictures and build trust and deepen relationships so that people, even if they don't, even if they can't trust the product, they can trust you to sell them. The yeah. Product. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And then there's a little lesson. And we say, if you want to learn how we do that with all of our campaigns and strategies, come and join the League of Email Marketing Heroes here and the link. And so all yeah. of our emails, they do talk about our products and services, but they're like an afterthought. Every single day, there's a little story mm. and a little lesson. Typically, we've got four frameworks. That's the main one. A little story, a little lesson, and then some sort of little call to action, which could be come and buy a thing. It could be mm. listen to the latest episode of Rockstar CMO. It could be <laughs> us on somebody else's podcast. It could be, yeah. you know, whatever it's going to be. Uh, so that's one thing. The second bit is um, that... So that then when the mattress arrived, I sent another email about the fact that the mattress arrived and it came in different packaging to what I expected a mattress to come mm -hmm. in. I was expecting two burly people carrying a big mattress, but it was just mm -hmm. a weedy bloke about my build with a little box on his shoulder going, there's your mattress. Right. And so I wrote an email about that. Things aren't always what you expect and kind of unpacked that into a thing. Mm -hmm. What we end up doing, as I said, is we end up looking after what we call the emotional needs of our audience. It becomes addictive content because people can't wait to find out what's happening next. And those emails yeah. got replies from people saying, oh, I'm looking for a new mattress. What mattress did you get? And wow. so connecting with people on a much yeah. deeper level than just we teach email marketing. Do you want to learn email marketing? Yeah, yeah. And I think you, you said a key word there that I love, which is trust, right? And so a little bit corporate and trust is banded around a lot at the moment around marketing and authenticity, right? I don't, you don't want to hear anybody say that ever again. But it sounds like that's what you're doing. Authenticity right? and unprecedented. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I'm going to say them anyway, because I love the fact that you're telling these authentic stories about yourself. You're building trust in that audience. And then they, they're going to stick with you and they're going to look and, and you're going to be their preferred supplier, aren't they? They're just going to come to you. And then they're going to start coming to you for things you don't sell, like advice about buying mattresses. Oh, I mean, so, Rob's had off, when Rob told the story about how he, get, he started running during during the pandemic, people yeah. sent him like high vis jogging vests and stuff like it is amazing. Wow. And within a within a B2B thing, what's really interesting if you're doing B2B marketing is these can be stories about you, the person who writes the emails. Absolutely. Could be stuff about things that are going on in the organization. They could be to do with the figureheads or the faces of the organization. They could be to do with your customers and things that happen there. Yeah. There are stories everywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the stories that you tell suit your audience, one to two person, little organizations. Now, that's not going to work if you're SAP sending out emails. But your point about it being human to human is absolutely dead on, right? Because you're a marketer writing an email probably to another marketer wanting to buy your software or your services. Mm -hmm. So what are the two of you got in common? And I think some of the things you talked about there about trust and the fact that people are feeling this risk about something in their business. We all know what those things are. Why don't we talk about them rather than just go, Buy our products. It's it's basically the same stuff, you know. If you took yeah. if you took you and all of your subscribers and put you yeah. in the pub for a night after some <laughs> huge conference somewhere, the stuff you would end up talking about is the stuff you yeah. put in your emails. Yeah, yeah, and no, I love it. So that's the, so we should stop talking about our products. Is the I think the question I asked a little while ago. Yeah. Um, but also onto your podcast because you run your own podcast, don't you? The Email Marketing Show. You uh, were just mentioning mine. Um, so tell us about that. Has that helped your business also? I mean, how does that work alongside your email campaigns that you're doing? Yeah, the podcast is, is an interesting thing. For us, we have a real mission that we want to genuinely transform the way that people do email marketing for two reasons. Mm -hmm. One, we want, you to get, we want people to get better results from it because yeah. while social media has changed the way we all consume content, mm -hmm. email marketing content hasn't developed in, in that same way. So we want to change that. And we want to change that so you get better results. We also want to change it so that we can all receive 
better email. <laughs> Just not right. the stuff that we all receive is terrible. So yeah. we thought, how can we do that? And actually, it's about leaning into what you're naturally good at and what you naturally enjoy doing. Rob mm. and I have been friends for like 18 plus years. We enjoy yeah. getting on a call and having a bit of blather about something. And so we yeah. thought, which channel should we get into where, even if you're having a bad hair day, and hair is very important to us, have you ever seen us? Um, so, um, I should be sharing the video because we've, we've got a shock of red hair and a shock of white hair in right. the two windows I'm looking at. Right. So we, we, we want to lean something that we find easy to produce on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So we, we release a new episode of the Email Marketing Show every week. And sometimes when there's something important happening, we'll do an extra episode like on a Friday mm-hmm. or something. Um, but re- very rarely. And, and that, the way that works for us is it allows us to tap into the knowledge of other people and actually learn. Mm-hmm. Like there's not an episode. Basically, our rule is who do we want to speak to to learn how to do something? Let's invite that person on the show. Yeah, And that means we always end up with another document open on our screen, writing notes about how we're going to apply the stuff that's being taught. Right. That's one of the great ways. The second thing that really works for us is, is, is that networking thing of meeting people who are doing the same sort of things or serving the same sort of community that, that we're serving. And of course, for building an audience and being able to share this knowledge to impact email marketing throughout the world. That's why we'll be able to get people on our show, like the founders and CEOs of Aweber, of... Uh, the email marketing platform of normally mm. Infusionsoft. Like the the way we're able to do this and get like sort of from the top knowledge is because mm. we've we've built this amazing audience of people. And of yeah. course, we move people from the podcast to join our email list, where our email right. marketing obviously is is pretty good. So uh, yeah. so that that turns into into leads, into sales, into members of our programs, members of yeah. our membership, and and also of our email writing agency as well. Yeah, so it's basically part of your content marketing strategy and it informs the content you might use in other channels yes. because of the conversation you're having, but also it gives your audience another opportunity to learn about buying mattresses, presumably. Uh, well, exactly, yeah. And here's, <laughs> the thing is, uh, I don't know about you, but for us, the podcast is, we initially thought of it as an audience growth channel and it's yeah. a bit of that, but actually we find that a lot of our members, a lot of our clients also continue to listen to it. It's not like just a top of the funnel activity. It's yeah. something that's everyone's weekly check-in while they're doing whatever they're doing right now and there's a podcast. They also get to hear it. They get to hear that as well. It's a really good way of having some timely content and some evergreen content as well mm. and, and connecting with us. Um, yeah, so we, I mean, we, we just love producing, honestly. If, even if it yeah. wasn't making sales, I think we'd still produce it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, this is a lo- was a lockdown project for me at the beginning. And just to get out there, talk to some people from my network and, and get something going like that. So um, I, I've, I haven't got the same laser focus that you guys have had around, you know, the content strategy around it. But definitely, you know, once you start doing it and you, and you get that momentum going, it's great. great tell you what, it's, what, what it works really well for us is we our content strategy is all based on the fact that you reverse engineer everything. So it's like, yeah. okay, what's the promotion? So we do it quarterly planning promotions. So we, I, yeah. like most people, I think. So we look at, okay, what's happening this month? What other things are going to be happening on that particular month of that quarter? Mm-hmm. Great. What's the content needs to go out of that? What's going to go on the mm-hmm. podcast that allows people to start leaning into and thinking about that topic? So if we're talking yeah. about batching emails because we have a batching course coming up or whatever it's going to be, yeah. we'll start doing that. And from that podcast episode, what do we produce? We produce content for our free, free Facebook group, which we called the Email Marketing Show Community. So it's like a a Facebook free group off the back of our podcast, which is mm-hmm. one of our best lead magnets. So we do that. So the posts that go into that free Facebook group are derived from the content of the podcast. What mm-hmm. goes on our 
Robin Kennedy Instagram is also derived from what we talked about in the podcast. So everything comes out of that core piece of content. Nice, nice. And it all joins together. That, this has been fascinating. I've just realized the time. This has been uh, really enjoyed talking about uh, email. Um, but finally, and your podcast, finally, uh, we have a regular feature on the Rockstar CMO called the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, in tribute to all the rock stars that threw things in hotel swimming pools. And for some of my younger guests, I've had to explain that to them that they used to do that. <laughs> but it's our portal to marketing hell for overhyped trends, BS, and snake oil from this marketing industry we love. What would you guys chuck into our pool? I think I'm going to go with uh, misleading subject lines, which sounds like an obvious thing to throw into a swimming pool. Nobody wants to do uh-huh. anything misleading, but just don't uh-huh. pack that ever so slightly, really, really quickly, I promise. Um, we see a lot of people using subject lines to try and get attention. They do things like put re on the front or forward on the front, mm-hmm. as if it's a reply or a forward. Um, mm. And then sometimes they'll use really spammy sort of subject lines like, um, you've got it, you know, re, it quotes, you've got a new client. And when, it, mm. when you open it, it says, wouldn't you love to have a new client every day? And you think, oh, that's just not subject lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for us, yeah. it's spammy subject lines. The thing that gets your emails open is not the subject line. It's your name landing in their inbox and their relationship with you. And if the what, yeah. one spammy subject line is enough to screw up that entire entire relationship so yeah yeah you might get you might get a lot of opens on that one email but you won't get any more after that (laughs) no i love that spam emails spam sorry misleading subject lines straight into the swim pool that sounds great so gentlemen when people spin the dial on the interwebs where they're going to find you both yeah if you want to check us out on instagram we're posting a load of stuff and content on there so that's at Mm -hmm. bob and kennedy if you like listen to podcasts wherever you're listening to this one right now we have a as you can probably imagine quite upbeat weekly podcast called the email marketing show so you can grab that wherever you get your podcasts and if you want to come and check out our community it's called the email marketing show community it's on facebook Nice, nice. And uh, you're both presumably on LinkedIn and Twitter and all those sorts of things as well. We are. We don't use them that much. Um, I tell you, actually, Rob, we could we could help people out with um, getting more clicks on their emails. I guess. Yeah, one of the things you really want to push for is, is people getting clicks in your emails. As a, We don't really care about opens that much. We care about clicks because when people click to look at your yeah, office, yeah, buy. Yeah. We've got a really cool free resource you can grab called Click Tricks. It's 12 really creative ways to get more people clicking on the links in the next email you send and every other email you send going forward. If you want to grab that, just go to emailmarketingheroes.com forward slash CMO and you can grab it from there, emailmarketingheroes.com forward slash CMO. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. And I'll, of course, include all your links, the links to your podcast, the links to your website, to your community and to that particular resource in the show notes thanks very much gentlemen enjoy the rest of your friday have a great weekend thanks for having us cheers guys thank you robin kennedy enjoyed that conversation emails so often overlooked as a creative way to connect and they're quite right it's an excellent owned content channel and i will include all those links that we discussed in the show notes that you can find on rockstarcmo.fm. Right, time to wind down for the week. And where better than the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with a man once described as a likeable Mark Ritson and to join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, the chief troublemaker at the content advisory to be transported away with a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Welcome to the end of the week and uh, the very noisy. Holy smokes. <laughs> what have you done to the bar? I, is that a heavy metal band? That's my, it's a heavy metal. What is that? 
I don't think you had heavy metal here in the in the in the bar before, but no. Well, I, there was a mistake, mistake in the booking where I thought I was getting another mariachi band. Yeah, it's you know usually there's some soft jazz playing or there's one time that there was the mariachi band, but this is this is like heavy like this is like some goth you know sort of dark metal stuff like you know are they from finland they must be from finland right I, aren't they all heard all those bands from either finland or norway or those kinds of things? probably yeah probably when i find one you know, just just a little issue of finding a finnish goth band yeah finnish goth band. i think uh that's I, I have, hopefully haven't made it too difficult for you in terms of your search. Oh, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's a breeze. Yeah. No, that's probably, well, it's much easier to find, let me, let me put it this way, it's much easier to find a, a Finnish uh, goth band than it would be, for example, to find a Brazilian one. <laughs> well, maybe you're saving that for, for a yes. future show. Well, we have a wonderful <laughs> cocktail um, uh-huh. for to celebrate uh, the end of the week here. Um, yep, and uh, and it and it goes to uh, you know a, a, a tequila drink, um, of course, because I'm feeling nice. very tequila y, um, mm-hmm. and it's um, there is a drink in Mexico. Uh, they call it a verdita, um, and mm-hmm. this is what we will be drinking. And I have also discovered this, and it's a, a, again as last week, a little more complex to make. But just as rewarding, and maybe even more so if you're a tequila mm-hmm. fan. Um, now, you do need to be a cilantro fan. And I understand there's a lot of people who aren't cilantro fans um, out there, which baffles me because I absolutely adore cilantro. I, I'm, I'm in that same camp, yeah. It's one yeah. of my favorite spices of all. Taste. So anyway, yeah. so this what makes this drink is, so this does require a blender. Right, okay. And so you're going to need a blender here. And so you're going to get pineapple juice and then uh, lime juice. So a good amount of pineapple juice in order to make the drink. It will be the base of the drink here, your pineapple juice. And then you'll want lime juice to taste. Freshly squeezed, always better. Um, you'll have some mint leaves. Um, you'll bring in some cilantro. A, a couple of handfuls will be will be fine. A good, you know, to, again, to taste. But, you know, what mm-hmm. you want to do there. And then a jalapeno which you will partially de-seed. Now, the seeds are where the heat is, so you don't want to completely de-seed it. Um, But chop it up, put that into your blender, and basically blend that up into like you were making a smoothie or something. But, of course, there's a lot of pineapple juice in there, so you're really making more of a juice uh, than you Mm -hmm. are a, uh, you know, like a smoothie or something like that. So it should have the consistency of of a thick juice, as it were. And then, of course, add your favorite Reposado tequila um to that again to uh-huh. taste um you can add a lot which is always my favorite <laughs> um and you have yourself the, the the lovely thing about this is the jalapeno adds just enough heat to make you want to keep drinking it to try and cool your mouth mm-hmm. down and then mm-hmm. but the cilantro and the mint and the and the lime and the pineapple all mixed together to make a very very lovely taste refreshing at the wow. same time with the little heat and you've had about you know, so my, my advice is make a good amount of this, maybe even a pitcher, because mm-hmm. you're going to, you're <laughs> going to drink quite a bit of it. I love it. I love it. And again, is this, is this something you discovered? Cause I know you do experiment and, and create your own cocktails. Don't you? Uh, I, you know, I have, um, this, uh, this, I did not invent this, the Vertita. It, yeah. it definitely exists out there in the world. I have played yeah. around with the, uh, quantities of things, 
Um, I mm -hmm. loved all the ingredients in some of the recipes that I saw, but I don't like the way that yeah. they divide it out. Um, yeah. And so um, it, it either becomes uh, too minty or too cilantro-y yeah. or too, so all, so you have to experiment for your own taste um, in yeah. all of that. And I prefer a little more heat than less. And so yeah. um, I find that most of the recipes of this have very light jalapeno and I, I add a little more in there because I, Nice. I'm, I'm a fan of the of the of the spice of heat. Yeah, nice. Well, uh, I shall attempt to make that uh, using the uh, the ingredients in my desktop bar. Um, now I'm going to put some ice in. I'm going to start off with some ice. Is that? Did you put ice in yours? Uh, yes, there is ice. Ultimately, you'll yes. blend it and then pour good. it over ice. Yes. Oh, good. And then I'm going to use the most English of reposado tequilas. If I can get it open some hendrix gin you'll be shocked to learn some hendrix gin and then as you know i'm a bit lazy uh and i can't really be asked with all that making stuff so i get the good people at fever tree to make my uh to make my mixers um i think i think they've got a blender i don't have a blender here on my desktop <laughs> and what they've done is they've blended cucumber ah. with tonic <laughs> I see. Yes. Yes. Cucumber uh... is 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 probably the the most English of jalapenos. I think is really the. <laughs> yes, it's quite interesting. The cucumber is the most English of many things. That's right. You put, you put it That's in right. drinks. The fact that there are sandwiches, <laughs> complete sandwiches made of them, should tell us all we need to know. Yes. Yeah. I know. And uh, people say that English food is bland. I mean, a good cucumber sandwich. What more do you need? <laughs> I'm going to just give this a taste. What's that? Mm. Yeah, there you go. I'm just going to give it a ah, taste. Good. That was delicious, Robert. That was really worth all of that effort that I put into it too, as you say. Yes, indeed. Uh, good yeah, things it's, come it's, to those. It's, it's uh, you know, refreshing and hot and, and, and good. All this. You could drink a whole pitcher of those, I'm sure. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to have one of these every week. I, I love think it. you probably should. Yes. <laughs> and what did we yeah, call with it? the finish? We, I, you know, have one of those every week with your Finnish heavy metal going on in the background there. <laughs> and what did we call this one this week? Uh, well, this time we're calling it a verdita, which is a which is a, a, a not my name. That is a name that is out there. So, nice. if you want to verdita. Google recipes for this, you can just Google verdita, V E R D I T A. Um, and mm -hmm. you will find the recipe. Nice. And um, where would one drink of Edita? Well, I have a craving um, for Hawaii. Um, mm -hmm. And it's probably because it has been cold here in Southern California. Um, well, I mean, when, you when say I say cold, yes, I, yes, I yes, yes. <laughs> immediately disclaimer, the asterisks come out, you know, put the footnotes at the bottom of the page. Yes, all of those things come to play here. Yes, cold here is... Yes. Uh, I can never do the Celsius math uh, properly, so I it's you know, uh, low fifties here has been mm. is, is 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 considered very <laughs> cold, right? So, yeah, and and a little cooler at night, maybe into the you know low forties at at night. So, yes. Well, as we record this, because it's obviously morning your time and evening my time, uh, it's dark and cold here. It's crisp and fresh, and it's not raining, and there's no no clouds, so it's good. But it's 
significantly less than 50 degrees. Yes, I can imagine. I can imagine. It, is, it is, after all, yes, the, the right time of year for that. So we're in Hawaii. We're drinking these Veditas. Uh, and uh, once uh, we've exhausted all other conversation and we, <laughs> we're on to content, uh, we're on to marketing. What are we going to be discussing this week? What's our thoughts? Well, we're going to talk about measurement um, and, ah. and marketing measurement specifically um, mm-hmm. because it's, it's top of mind for me these days, especially as uh-huh. what I'm starting to notice now is more of this focus on first party data and how we're measuring success and all those kinds yeah. of things. And what I, you know, I, I, I said something that I didn't consider all that provocative, but I guess is relatively provocative. Um, and it just comes from my experience of having done this marketing thing for now 30 years. Um, and Basically, what what I said, and this was I said this to a, a marketing leader a colleague, um, a CMO, and I said um, that basically agreement on measurement is much more important than accuracy. And I didn't think that was that provocative yeah. or controversial, but but apparently it is a little bit, you know, in terms of that that idea. And here's what I mean by that is that so when I was talking with this CMO he was asking for their direct reports to get sharper, um, basically to improve the approach on measuring content marketing. In this case, contribution to Mm -hmm. the business contribution to the, to the marketing success. And the interesting thing was that, you know, in the, so I, I met with the team and the team's first response to that, you know, that, that sort of directive of get sharper on measurement was as I see a lot of teams doing, digging into the numbers to make sure that they're accurate, right? To make sure that they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're precise, um, and that they, you know, that they're indicating what it is that they are purporting to indicate. And I told the team, I said, no, it's I think that's actually the last thing you need to do. I said it's not. It has nothing to do with the accuracy, you know. defining what a web page means of whether it means that they viewed half a page or three quarters of a page or, you know, all that Mm -hmm. is, is silly unless, unless you've got agreement on what success means. Yeah. And that's the real key here. And the example I used is I use the example of television ratings, um, which Mm -hmm. is my background, which is where I came from. I came from the, the, my, my first job in marketing was in television. And my job was to convert television ratings into PowerPoints that the ad salespeople would actually take out to the world and sell advertising on. And so I have direct experience with this and I learned Mm -hmm. everything there is to know about Nielsen ratings at the time. Um, and everything like viewers per viewing household, we called them VPVHs and, you know, all sorts of things about <laughs> TV ratings. And TV ratings have never, ever, ever, ever in the history of anything ever been accurate. They're just not. They're just, they have right. zero relationship to accuracy of what actual number of people are watching a particular show or watching a particular network or for how long. They just haven't. And so, you know, even back to the early days, the early days of, of TV ratings were people literally writing like handwriting into a diary what they watched and for how long, you know, right. I, I, you know, would you be shocked to learn that some of them actually didn't write it in the moment? They actually went back when it was due <laughs> on Friday afternoon and sort of said, Hey, what did we watch on Tuesday? And how long did we watch? <laughs> so, and 
the other thing was this, and this is really the most sort of, you know, the dirty secret of TV ratings, if you will, is that up until just a few years ago, there was 20,000 households, right? You know, that basically mm -hmm. determined mm -hmm. what the household ratings were. And mm -hmm. when you consider that there's more than a hundred million homes just in the U.S., well, mm -hmm. that's the equivalent of walking into a basketball arena with 10,000 people in it and trying to figure out what everybody wants for dinner by asking two of them. And so, <laughs> wow, that's the difference, right? I said yeah. to the team, I said, listen, the television advertising isn't a $60 billion a year industry because the measurement is accurate. It's a $60 billion industry because everybody's agreed that this is the best we got. And this mm. is what success looks like. And once we're all in agreement with that, great. Now we can all move forward. forward. And that's yeah. the same principle. So it's not the accuracy of your web visit. It's not the accuracy of your open rates. It's not the accuracy of your number of downloads. All of those things can be fine-tuned and gotten and et cetera. It's just a matter of, of, of designing and engineering. The most important thing is to go back to the CMO, I said, and start agreeing on here's our objective and here's what will define that objective being met, yeah. right? So there's no ambiguity there. That's what getting sharper on measurement is. Getting sharper on measurement is getting agreement with your boss on what defines success, not what the accuracy of those definitions are. That yeah. will come later. That will come much later. And so yeah. once we started to do that, we changed the project from basically looking at technology and looking at the data and looking at how accurate it was. And we changed it to rather saying, Let's find and understand what the objectives of this content marketing program are. Let's come up with seven or eight different key results that actually define that objective. And then we'll go to the boss and say, is this what you mean? And yeah. this is what we'll define it as. And if we meet these key results, then we will have thus made the objective. Thus, we're getting sharper about our measurement program. Okay. That's the difference. <clears throat> yeah, I love that, especially as, I mean... Um, we it's so easy isn't it as a marketer to get caught up in the in when you get these data dashboards and you start piling into the data and you start getting obsessed of how do i define this particular metric and all that kind of stuff and you've forgotten the why of why you're measuring and all that and that's what you need to get agreement on don't you and, the, and those can be quite much more broader things that you're you're being measured on that somebody else cares about than the, the, the minutiae that you tend to get lost in, right? If you, when you go into these tools, I've just been in so many meetings where, mm. you know, we're the, the a, a team, not even, you know, the marketing team, but it can be really any team is yeah. presenting what success looks like. I've, I've had these literally where a senior management team is presenting it to the board. I've seen yeah. it where, it's being presented to the public as part of, you know, the, the ultimate, you know, the quarterly earnings. I've seen it mm -hmm. with marketing teams presenting to, uh, you know, to their boss and yeah. they present analytics and metrics and they say, we got X, therefore we are successful. And the yeah. first question out of the other, the audience in this case, the, you know, sort of the board or the boss or the, you know, the, the analyst listening on the earnings call is how do you know that that's successful? Because they don't yeah. understand, they have not agreed that X number of visits, X number of dollars, X number of growth is success. Mm -hmm. And so when you haven't agreed on what success means, you know, without yeah. standards, there can be no measurement. 
And, yeah. and so if you've not agreed on what the standard of success equals, then it doesn't matter how successful you were because you, the, the, the audience either doesn't believe it, doesn't know, or doesn't understand it. And in any yeah. of those cases, it does, ultimately you fail to show that you've achieved what you've achieved. Now there are obviously, you know, some binary things there, right? I mean, you know, like, you know, if I, you know, if, if I come in and I say, we just made a million dollars and we had $0 yesterday, obviously we were successful. <laughs> yeah. There are, you know, what I'm, what I mean here is, is that this is measurement over time where yeah. incremental improvement over time is a justification for effort. Uh, yeah. In other words, you know, it, it, it's not about whether you won the lottery or not and whether that's considered a success. It means I am putting forth a plan that's going to cost effort and time. And therefore, I'm going to define success of that effort and time and money that I'm spending as this. And if we don't get agreement on the ones that have afforded us the effort and time, then it's, uh, it's all, it doesn't matter uh, how yeah. successful or accurate you are. So that's why I always say that agreement on measurement is much more important than accuracy. Yeah, I'm, I'm nodding so hard while you're talking about this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to spill my drink. Um, I, but the, um, that, that conversation also, I mean, there's all this, all, all this talk about the, the CMO's relationship with the C-suite and, you know, how, you know, marketing isn't understood and how, you know, the CMO's got a short tenure. Those are the very conversations, aren't they, that anchor marketing into the business in that you're talking about tangible metrics and that you're, you know, you're not talking about your MQLs, blah, blah, whatever, the marketing language. <laughs> you're, you're talking about, the, you know, you're talking I love about, that, yes. <laughs> going through You're the entrails and reading it yeah exactly yeah yeah and 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 i think when you were saying that what i heard uh from what you were saying about people not understanding it was actually people not caring about it right you're you're telling people something they don't care about yes and and or what's happening is is that you get the reverse where they do care mm. and they shouldn't um, yes. You know, <laughs> yes. in other words, when right. I, back when I was the, a, a CMO of a small software company, one of the things that I was successful in doing was sort of getting agreement on the important things, right? The important measurements yeah. that I wanted to be measured on, which were typically yeah. revenue and cost, right? Yeah. And so when I would show my measurement to my audience, which in this case was sort of the, the venture capital team and my management team mm. and my boss, who was the CEO, it would be around here's my costs, here's my savings. In other words, here's my, you know, here's my cost, here's my savings. And here's yeah. the revenue that's being generated, you know, new, op new customers, mm -hmm. new value, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And then when they would care about stuff like, well, how many visitors did we get to the website or how many tweets did yeah. we get retweeted or how many email subscribers did we get? Those are all numbers that I cared about and my team cared about, but I would say in the meeting, you don't care. You, you, yeah, you don't absolutely. care about all of those kinds of things. And so yeah. that's the, that's, I mean, now, trust me, that's easier to say than it is to do because <laughs> a lot of bosses <laughs> do share sure. quite deeply about how yeah. many Twitter followers our brand has. Yeah, and so, you know, true. your mileage may vary there on saying you don't care, but, but the, but the yeah. point being is that they really shouldn't, that if yeah. you've got an agreement on what success looks like, that's what you're showing. That's what you should be reporting yeah. on is the you know, the, the key progress, you know, the key, literally the KPIs, your key progress indicators of toward yeah. that objective and toward those key results. That's, that's, and that's all you should be showing because 
What that does is it gives you much more flexibility in order to get there. In other yeah. words, Pla I want to kill the traffic to my website because I find that moving them over to my blog gives me more revenue. I should be free to mm -hmm. do that. But if I have to make sure that every graph is going up and to the right, then yeah. I'm always going to be yeah. mediocre at best. Yeah, I've, I've so been there. And I mean, I've seen, um, I've seen marketers that have, have used PPC in order to drive up um, page views, completely pissing the money away. Um, but they felt that that was a metric their management team were interested in. And, and there's nothing more dangerous than um, a management team getting data out of context and thinking it's important, you know, and then and that drives crazy behavior. Um, so I think it's su such a good thought, Robert. I love it. And uh, where, where if, if people wanted to find some sort of thoughts around this thing and they, and they were looking to, to measure the success of their day, where would they find them? Well, they, they would really find it in their own sort of inner conscious dreams, I think, probably the best. <laughs> kidding. Um, if, they, if, they're, if, if you're at all interested in what I have to say, we've got a little website we call contentadvisory.net where we put up some of our, of our thinking um, occasionally. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the I, best place, I think. I have, I've actually got a question to ask you because I keep introducing you as the chief troublemaker at the content advisor. Are you still the chief troublemaker? I am indeed. Now? No, I am indeed. I, oh, I, I've kept, I've kept that title. <laughs> it, every time I go to change it, um, yeah. somebody tells me how much they appreciate it. So I'm like, all right. You know, I always thought it was yeah, a little cliche, like a little like chief ninja or, you know, that sort of thing, yeah. which I typically kind of rail on, but Fine, yes. fine, I'm going to keep it. I think you did. I think you did a good job. And then if people want to spin the dial on the interwebs and find the uh, chief troublemaker, where will they find uh, You'll find me on LinkedIn for sure. And I would love to connect with each and one of you, every one of you there. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer in a big network on LinkedIn. Um, and it yes. has become my favorite social network. And then, of course, I'm on the Twitter because I love um, sort of the, the sort of ADD nature of it. So uh, on Twitter as yes. well. Splendid. All right. And uh, let people know. That you heard it here, chaps. Right. <laughs> um, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Robert. And uh, more importantly, will I see you in the bar? Ah, uh, you will. With probably fewer Finnish Gothic fans. Yeah. <laughs> thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thank you, Robert. He mentioned Finnish goth in the bar and there was a tiny snippet of lordy hard rock hallelujah, the 2006 Eurovision Song Contest winner. So that's a wrap on episode 104 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Rob and Kennedy and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello, follow their work and check out all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Please let us know and help others find us by dropping a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, as you heard, Jeff and I will continue with the effing marketing fundamentals. My guest is Kerry Cunningham, product marketing at Six Sense, and Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. I hope my voice is back. 
and you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.